In 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, we'll start reading. This is what I've been wrestling with, where to begin reading from. Uh, let's just start reading kind of where I left off there. Verse 19, 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, And he said unto his father, Now this is after, after this only child, the Shunammite woman, and, this, uh, and his father, uh, had gone out, uh, gone out into the field, gone out to, to, uh, with his father. It says, And he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to, the, to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon. And then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And shut the door upon him. And went out. And she called unto her husband. And said send me I pray thee one of the young men. And one of the asses. That I may run to the man of God. And come again. And he said wherefore wilt thou go to him today. It is neither new moon. Nor Sabbath. And she said it shall be well. Yeah. It shall be well. Her son had just died. Her son had just died. And, and, and I don't even read about her shedding a tear when it happened. I ain't going to say that she didn't. But the pages of scripture, the Holy Ghost did not inspire the writer of Kings to write anything about any type of mourning that this woman showed. Any type of tear that she may have shed. She simply carried him up and she didn't put him on her own bed. She didn't lay him on the floor. Didn't put him in a lazy boy there in the living room. She carried him up to the man of God's bed and that's where she lay she had faith in not the man of God but in the God that the man of God served she had faith that something could happen she didn't know exactly what but she had been promised a son she had been promised a child by the man of God and she saw that as a promise from that man's God that she would have a child not that God would give her that child and take him away, but that she would have a child that she could rear, that she could teach, that she could have until her dying day. This woman had that much faith. So when she called to the father of this child and said, send me a servant, send me an ass, that I can go to the man of God and then come back to this place. And he asked the question, why are you going? There's no new moon. There's no new Sabbath. That shows me that this woman knew something about religion. She knew something about worship. She knew something about the God of Elisha. And she said, it is well. Her child had just died, but she had enough faith and trust in God to say, it is well. And then we go on just a little bit further in the scripture. Folks, I got two boys. If something like that happened to me, I would not act like this woman. I can tell you that with the utmost faith, knowing myself, knowing how I am, I would not have the faith that this Shunammite woman here had. She, she has more faith. She exhibits more faith here than I could ever exhibit in my life in a similar circumstance. She said, she tells the father of the child, her own husband, it is well. And she goes on. 
She said, it says that she sat on an ass and said to, to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slight not thy writing for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said unto Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well twice now. She has given the answer. It is well. Her child was laying dead at her own home. She had just traveled out in out, out into God knows how far to, to find out the man of God, to find out the one that represented God. She had traveled out here. The servant shows up, Gehazi. He comes on the scene and he asks, Is it well with you? Is it okay with the father of the child, your husband? And is it okay with the child? And she simply answers, it is well. She was exhibiting that she trusted in God to fulfill the promise he had told her through his man Elisha that she would have a child. How much trust and how much faith do we exhibit in the God that has saved our souls? If we got faith that he saved us. Yeah. If we're trusting Him to save us, if we're trusting Him to get us home, if we're trusting that we have been washed clean and washed pure and washed white as snow in the blood of Jesus Christ, then why can we not trust Him with everything else in our lives? Why can't we exhibit the same trust that this woman had? I'll tell you why. Because we live in a time, we live in this age, we live in this era right now where we have learned and been conditioned to trust man, to trust invention, to trust doctors, to trust medicine, to trust everything more than we trust God. Amen. That's why. And that's why we have a hard time. That's why we have a hard time having the same faith that this woman did. You look at Peter over in the New Testament. A big storm rolled up one night. The disciples were on the boat. Jesus had, Jesus had stayed on the land. Big storm rolls up on the sea. And the, all the disciples, hey, they were shaking with fear. Those disciples, most of them were fishermen. They had seen storms like that. They knew what the wind was capable of. They knew what the rain was capable of. But yet they feared. And Jesus came walking to them. And Peter, God bless Peter, he's the only one in the boat that said, Lord, if it's you, bid me that I can come to you. He had that much trust and that much faith that he could walk out on the same water that Jesus Christ was walking on. And Peter stepped out of the boat at the command of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he stood there on the water. He's the only person in Scripture other than Jesus Christ I can read about that could walk on water. He had that much trust in Jesus. That much trust. Now I understand. You go on. And the scripture says that the winds became boisterous. That got Peter a little bit off, off, uh, off kilter we would say. Got, a, got his mind somewhere else. And he went down in the water. But Jesus didn't leave him there. Praise God. Hey, when Peter went down in the water, he said, Lord, save me. And that's precisely what Jesus did. He reached down in the water where Peter was, picked him up out of the water, put him right back in the boat. 
That's what my God does. He trusted Jesus when he stepped out on the water. And he trusted Jesus when he went down into the water. Although his faith and his trust had faltered just a little bit before that, Jesus did not leave him to die. And he won't do it to me. I'm his child. You better believe I wouldn't leave one of my boys to die. I'd do everything I could to help them. You wouldn't leave one of your children to die if they were in a certain circumstance. Why do we think that our Heavenly Father would treat us in such a way knowing that we have claimed Him as Father? He's claimed us as sons and daughters. Hallelujah! He'll be with us all the way even to the end. Praise God! my God, the same God that this Shunammite woman was trusting, the same God that Abraham trusted, same God that Isaac trusted, same God that Jacob trusted. Did they falter? You better believe that they did. Did Peter falter? You better believe that they did. Every one of them. Did Paul mess up? Of course he did. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And hey, that that ain't just our past sins either. We're going to continue to sin to our dying day. We'll have sinful thoughts. We'll have sinful actions. We'll have sinful speech. Everything about us is sinful. Your flesh is sinful. Our minds are sinful. But praise God. Hey, when he cleaned me and he took out that stony heart. He didn't leave an empty space there. He put in a heart of flesh, something that was soft that he could mold, that he could knead. He could soften it even more than when it first began. Hallelujah. And the more he does that, the more I can trust him. The more times I mess up and God picks me back up, Mm -hmm. the more I learn I can trust him. You look at Isaac over in the, or not Isaac, Abraham, and the, further back in the Old Testament, where we're at right now. Abraham was stricken in years. Mm-hmm. Sarah had died. He done buried her in a cave called Machpelah. He done buried his wife in a cave. The very next chapter, you see Abraham concerned about his boy, Isaac. Mm-hmm. You see Abraham sending his own servant. I don't know if it was Eliezer or not, Eliezer. Hey, that was when Eliezer was brought up. That was 50 years before where we're talking about right now. Eliezer could have very well been dead by that point. But either way, it was a servant that Abraham trusted. And it was a servant that, that, that he, he brought to him. And he said, you need to go back to my homeland. You need to find a bride for Isaac. Hey, his wife had just died. He had just buried Sarah in that cave, but he was concerned about finding a bride for Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old at that point. Why he wasn't married, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But hey, that shows me one thing though. Abraham wasn't pushing the boy. Abraham waited on God because Abraham had learned to trust God. He called on his servant. He said, go, go to my homeland. He said, Isaac don't need to marry one of these Canaanite women. Why was that? It wasn't their race. It wasn't the color of their skin. It wasn't the way they dressed. It wasn't nothing like that. It was because there was a covenant between God and Abraham. And that covenant stretched to the people of Abraham. And, and Abraham knew, hey, these Canaanite women, they don't know nothing about my God. Even a new convert wasn't even going to be good enough for his boy Isaac. He wanted somebody that had been reared and trained in the ways of Jehovah God and the actions of Jehovah God and in what little bit of work 
word there may have been in Jehovah God, the little bit of speech that may have been given, the, 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 the tales that they would have been telling one another over the years about their God. He wanted a woman that knew about that God to marry his son. Why? Because the seed was promised through Isaac. He didn't want some half-breed Canaanite woman. He wanted a full-fledged believer in God. So he sent a servant. Sent a servant. What did a servant do? That servant's name's never mentioned, by the way. That servant's name's not. You know why? Because that whole narrative from Genesis, I believe that's Genesis 24, Genesis 25, somewhere around in there, it lasts for a couple of chapters. Never once is that servant's name mentioned. It wasn't about the servant. It was about Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. He sent the servant <clears throat> he said, you go to my homeland, you get her from my own people. Now, Rebecca would have been, would have been Isaac's second cousin. Second cousin or first cousin once removed, if you'd rather uh, phrase it like that. But either way, she was a second cousin. But, folks, she was full-fledged. She was full-fledged. She was of that seed that Abraham was looking for. And Abraham, not too long before Sarah died, he had heard of his brother Nahor. He had heard where he was living at, and he had heard of his granddaughter that he had named Rebekah. And he told his servant, he said, you go to my country, you find a woman that's suitable for my boy Isaac. And the servant left. And folks, listen, it wasn't just an overnight journey. That where he was going from, from Canaan, where they were at, over into Nahor, where they were going, was about a 500 mile journey. He would have spent days. He would have spent weeks in that desert on Camelback going across that country. But when he came to the town, hey, he stopped there at the well. He didn't wait. Hey, he had been praying that whole time. I'm persuaded. But when he stopped at the well, he said a prayer unto God. He said, you send me a woman out here and when she asks me or I'm going to ask her for a drink and when I do, she's going to ask me if she can also get water for my camels uh -huh. now folks that may not sound like much that's a whole lot when you're considering about 2,000 or 4,000 years ago that's a whole lot that well she didn't just stand up there and lower a bucket down in and home rope and wind it back up that well she would have had to have descended steps she would have had her water pots she would have had to have went down gathered that water and walked back up for ten camels that scripture says mm -hmm. ten camels were in that caravan one camel drinks about 30 gallons of water at a setting you're talking about 300 gallons of water that that woman would have brought up out of that well but she volunteered to do it yeah. she volunteered folks that was that servant trusting God Abraham trusted his servant because Abraham trusted God. That servant, he, hey, he, he was loyal to his master. He was loyal unto Abraham, but he trusted God. And he, you know why he trusted God? Because Abraham had taught him the things of God. He had told him about Jehovah God. He, he, had, he had probably preached to the man. He had probably prophesied unto the man. He had told him about the things of old. Probably told him about creation and the whole nine yards. And that servant, he showed up and, and, and Rebecca comes she was the first one out praise God God didn't waste any time hey that man he followed the will of God all the way across that desert as I said 500 miles across that desert and you don't have one snippet of information between the Canaan land and between the city of Nahor because it was insignificant can you imagine the prayers that man uttered can you imagine the discussions that they had along the way because he wasn't by himself 
He was with a whole band of people, folks. It was dangerous to travel by yourself through the desert in those days. Don't believe me, we go over to the New Testament. You read about the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus spoke. It was, oh, it was yeah. probably even more dangerous back in, back in Abraham's day. But he goes, Rebecca's the first one out. He asks her, he says, can I have a drink from your pitcher? She says, well, sure. She sees his camels. They're dry, they're dusty, they're thirsty. She says, how about I get some for your camels as well? Can you imagine the tingle that went down that servant's oh, spine? Yeah. This is the one. But he still wasn't satisfied. He still wasn't satisfied even with that. He wanted to make sure. He wanted to make sure. Hey, folks, how many times do we feel like we get an answer from God? And we go and we run with that answer only to find out a day or a week or a month or maybe even a year later that that wasn't God at all that spoke to us. That was our own mind because we'd already made up our own mind that that was the way. When we went and we prayed unto God, we said, God, I need this or I need that. God, I need you to help me with it. And we've already made up our mind. If he don't do this for me, I'm going to do it myself. That servant didn't do that. He wanted to make sure. He wanted to make sure. You know, he got in that sign. Then he asked the girl, whose daughter are you? Whose daughter are you? She told him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, who is the son of Nahor. Now, Bethuel's not really brought up much in the scripture. I don't know if he had died at that point. He could have been invalid, but Laban seemed to call the shots in the home as far as the, as far as the, uh, the masculine status went. But when she takes this servant to her house and this whole band of people, and she tells her, there's not only room for you there when they ask. And she said, there's not only room for you, there's room for your camels as well. We've got provender for them. We've got water. We've got everything that you need at our house. And she went, and the scripture says she went to her mother's house. Now, folks, that's odd. That's odd. It says she went to her mother's house, which tells me daddy, for whatever reason, was out of the picture. This man named Bethuel, he was out of the picture. But anyway... That's a, that's, a, that's a Sunday school lesson. <laughs> but they go into the house. He rehearses to the whole family. They fix a big old spread. They're having a big old feast. He rehearses to the whole family this story. Folks, Isaac and Rebecca's story is one of the greatest love stories you'll read about in all of Scripture. This, this servant had traveled 500 miles across the desert to go and pick up a woman from her family and take her back. They knew who Abraham was. In fact, when that servant was praying before Rebecca there at the well, he had mentioned Abraham. She knew who Abraham was. She knew that that was her kid and they also knew that they had not seen him since he had left there years and years and decades before and this servant shows up yeah. and he says there's a man named Isaac Abraham's son Isaac stands to inherit everything Abraham's got and Abraham's a man of great wealth he's got all his own critters he's got all his own money he's got servants he's got land he's got it all yeah. the only thing is Rebecca needs to come back with me. And they knew they would probably never see her again. How much trust did Rebecca have to have in, in God? We've talked about the servant's trust. How much did Rebecca have to have? Now listen, you can say she was enticed with the money. You can say that all you want to. You can say she was enticed because he bestowed all these goods on her. Says he brought her a ring. 
and given her bracelets. And, and, and when she finally said, or actually she never even said yes, it was pretty much uh, uh, insinuated that, that she was fine with the matter. She was okay with the situation. Uh, and and uh, the servant, he goes out to the camels, he gets all these gifts, all this jewelry, and he brings it in, he disperses it among the family. Hey, if Bethuel was alive, whatever uh, whatever he gave unto, unto Rebecca's mother, hey, that would have went straight to Bethuel anyway. He didn't slide Bethuel in the least. But he gave. He gave. This woman, Rebecca, she goes back with the servant. And the scripture goes on to talk about Abraham. Mm -hmm. So he went out to meditate. He looked at his eyes and he saw the camels out in the distance. Now, folks, again, this wasn't an overnight journey. Mm -hmm. This wasn't something, you know, you you travel for half a day and find yourself a Motel 6 and get up and travel the rest of the way the next day. There wasn't nothing like that going on. It would have been days and weeks of them being out there in the desert on camels going back home going back to Canaan, going back to the promised land. Mm -hmm. But the servant had to display faith in God and trust in God. Rebecca had to display faith and trust in God. Abraham had already displayed it multiple times from his uh, beginning account in Genesis chapter 12 all the way up to that point. What about Isaac, though? Isaac had to show faith in the father. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you're going to send the servant? To pick out a wife for me. That would have been my words. Yeah. Am I not capable of picking, picking her out myself? Isaac never said nothing like that. Uh-huh. He trusted his father. And I think he trusted his father because his father trusted the father. Yeah. I think that's where that trust came from. All this, uh, I'm saying all this to display one man's faith, Abraham. One man's faith and one man's trust affected all these other people. Mm-hmm. It affect, even if it was remotely, even if it was indirectly, like Rebecca. He, Abraham trusted the servant. The, trust, the servant trusted Abraham and trusted God and, and trusted God to lead him, trusted God to show him who the woman was, trusted God to get him across the desert, trusted God to get him back home to Isaac. He trusted all these things. Mm-hmm. Rebecca was a remote, though. She was, uh, she was indirectly affected by it, but yet, nevertheless, she was affected by it. Mm-hmm. Because without all that trust that started with Abraham, that servant would have never went to Nahor. And she would have never been found. And she would have never been brought back. Now listen, God would have still made a way. God would have made a way because he'd done made a promise. But that's the way that's recorded in Scripture. And it began with the trust of one man. Look at Paul over in the New Testament. In the book of Acts. You see Paul, he's going across the water. He's on a ship with a bunch of prisoners. Folks, there was a storm rolled up, a wind that had a name called Eurocladon. Mm-hmm. Now listen, it's one thing to have a storm. When that storm is, is so frequent and so strong and makes itself so known that you name it, yeah. that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. This storm, this wind blew up called Eurocladon, and it started to tear apart that ship. And the soldiers that were guarding the prisoners, hey, they wanted to kill them. They started throwing stuff off the boat. They started doing everything in their power to keep that boat afloat. And what did Paul say? Paul said, hey, there was an angel of the Lord that stood by me this night. And he said, there would none of us perish if we just stay on the boat. Hey, folks, if I'm on a ship of any kind and a storm rolls up, my faith is likely going to go out the window. I'm going to start trusting on everybody and everybody around me. Mm. 
trusting in everybody but God. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because we have been conditioned yeah. to do that. We've been conditioned to do that. Y'all have heard me use, use an example before. We've been conditioned to be impatient. What's the Bible say? The Bible says, wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But society has conditioned us to not wait upon the Lord. And I blame the microwave oven for a lot of it. I blame fast food drive-ins for a lot of it. And that's the way we've been conditioned. If we can't have it right then and right there, then then we'll go somewhere else before we get it. That's not trusting in God, folks. That's a bad way to get spiritually. If we ask God for something and he doesn't give it to us right then or he says, no, I've got something better on down the line. Folks, we have been conditioned to not trust God to provide for us. Shame on us for having that attitude. But every one of us, truth be known, every one of us have got that attitude. This woman here, this Shunammite woman, as I said, her, her son, her only child that was promised to her by God through Elisha, died and yet she could go she could yell out to her husband after he died say it is well and she could tell the man of God's servant Gehazi it is well knowing that her son was dead when Elisha came oh first Elisha sent a servant he sent Gehazi Gehazi shows up he lays a staff on the boy's face nothing happened Bible says nothing happened he goes back and he tells Elisha Elisha shows up though Elisha prostrates himself upon the boy. It says he lays upon the boy. He lays himself there. He spreads his arms out. It says he puts his mouth to his mouth and there's nothing sexual indicated in that. He was doing what God had led him to do. He was doing what he believed that God could do. Folks, he was, he, that was symbolic of the, of the breath of Elisha, the man that represented God. That was symbolic of his breath or God's breath entering into that dead boy that was there on the, there on his bed and that chamber that they had built for and when that happened it says that the boy's body started to get warm and after the boy was revived after he was brought back to life and resurrected hey he got back with his mama and all was well just like she said it would be that was trust that was trust that she displayed through the whole thing folks do I trust God that much do you trust God that much? That's a fine question. Do we trust him as much as Paul did when a ship's being tore apart? And we know that those soldiers that are on that ship with us, if we get out there in the water, that the soldiers are just going to kill us because they're going to be tortured and killed if they let a bunch of prisoners get loose. Yeah. Are we going to trust in God when a man of God stands and says, there was an angel stood by me this night and he said everything was going to be fine if you just stay on the ship? Are we going to trust in God when he says, hey, step out here on the water with me? Are we going to trust him enough to where we can walk completely and totally to where he is at? Praise God, even if we don't. Even if our trust dwindles. Even if it dwindles. He won't just leave us floating there. He won't leave us floating in the water. He won't leave us dead in the bed. Giazi showed up. Giazi knew something about God. But Giazi had other things on his mind too. You read towards the end of the next chapter. Giazi got what was coming to him. Naaman, that's right. Naaman's leprosy was healed. 
And there, he offered up gifts unto Elisha. Elisha said, I don't want your money. I don't want nothing you got to offer me. But boy, not Gehazi. Elisha went back home. Gehazi trailed after Naaman. He said, hey, there's a couple of boys showed up. He said, send, send, send them with me. And give, give, me give me some silver. Give me, give me what you was trying to give Elisha, in other words. He gave it to them. Servants showed up. They helped him get it in. They departed. He walks in there where Elisha's at. Elisha says, what you doing with that? That's my own words. He says, what you doing with that? And Elisha, Elisha tells him, he says, you've done wrong. You've done wrong. I said, I'm paraphrasing all this. Mm-hmm. And it says that, and Elisha told him, he said, the leprosy that was healed from Naaman, it's going to lay on you. Yeah. And it did. And he walked out of there just white as snow with leprosy. So Gehazi got what was coming to him. Yeah. Why? Because the man of God had tried to show him. And once again, the prophets of God represented God in the Old Testament. They weren't God. Don't you get me wrong. They were not God, but they represented God. Mm-hmm. So for him to defy what Elisha had said and everything that Elisha had taught him was to defy God himself. That's why he got the punishment that he did. This woman here, this woman here we started out tonight's sermon with, the Shunammite woman. Mm-hmm. I, could, I, I, can, I can outright tell you I could not exercise that much trust in God. I can tell you I trust God, and I do. And I can tell you I got faith in God, and I do. But do I have it like she does? No, I don't. I don't. I couldn't tell you one person in Scripture that has faith in God that I could compare my faith to. Bible says even even and we well we just read it this past Sunday where Jesus told Thomas he said he said uh, you believe he said blessed uh, basically even more so are those that have not seen and yet believe. Folks, I haven't seen it and I believe it. Therefore, I'm more blessed than Thomas was, yeah. or John, or Peter, or any of the other disciples that were there. Same Judas Iscariot, he wasn't blessed at all. He was blessed to have lived his years on this earth because that was years he didn't spend in hell. And that's the only blessing that he, re- he received. Book of Acts says he went to his own place. His own place is in hell. I'm, I'm persuaded of that. I'm convinced of that. People have tried to turn that into some huge theological meaning. Folks, Judas went to hell. And that's where he's at now. That's where he'll be forevermore. This woman here, she exhibited trust in God. Not just in the man of God, but in God. And we see that trust twice. She says, it is well, knowing that her son was dead. But that trust was was that God was not going to keep him that way. God would not keep him that way. Folks, when we have trust like that in God, imagine what we can do. Imagine what we can do for God with trust like that. Well, I said we've been conditioned not to have it. And it's our own fault for falling to or falling victim to that conditioning. We've gotten used to things. I've told you all before, use myself as an example. I have no doubt in my mind that God has power to heal me of my disease of diabetes. And I wouldn't have to wear this pump no more. The problem is I've depended on man for pushing 40 years now of my life to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. Man has invented needles, syringes. Mm-hmm. He's sucked insulin out of pigs. That's what I started out on before they had synthetic insulin. I used pork insulin. Mm-hmm. 
They've sucked insulin out of pigs. Now they make synthetic insulin with a DNA origin. I've gone from needles to a pump. I got ways to check my sugar. I got multiple ways to take care of myself that man has invented. Mm -hmm. What does that do that slacks my faith in God? And it does you all too. You look, you, you, you look in your life. Look, just consider the things in your life, the things in your home, the things that you do every day. And, and think of it like that. Think of it as a matter of convenience. This woman didn't have convenience. She didn't have the conveniences that, that we have. Therefore, she had more faith and more trust in God. 